This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10 off T E N O F F for a 10% discount at portlanddistro.com. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in this week. This is, of course, the Everything Went Black podcast. I'd like to thank everyone who has supported us on Patreon. Most notably, I'd like to thank Christian for joining. He's our newest member. And you, too, can support the podcast by joining our Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you get access to all kinds of bonus content. For $5 a month, you get access to the same bonus content plus early access to all of the regular stream episodes so you get to check all that stuff out in advance and you get the bonus stuff and i just rolled out another thing for potential sponsors so if you want a sponsor the show for 25 dollars, you can get a custom ad read. so check it out enough of that this week my good friend david grossman joins us he is a member of Rosetta, a band that you probably know about. And if you don't, you should definitely check them out. They've been around for a while, producing some heavy meditative metal. David and I get really deep into a lot of different topics. We talk a lot about martial arts, and uh, he's a jujitsu black belt, so we talk about jujitsu quite a bit. And um, just a lot of philosophy, and it's, a, it's an epic episode, so if you just like very intelligent guy going off about a bunch of different topics. This episode is no doubt for you. David, it's been a while since uh, we spoke. So how you been, man? Uh, good, man. It, uh, everything's good. Um, yeah, I can't even... I was thinking about this the other day. I think maybe the last time I saw you was when Tired Hands did that uh, special release. Uh, when you, when uh, Which Tombs album was it? This was a while ago. Oh, yeah, that was uh, Savage Gold. Uh, that was, yeah. I, I have very explicit memories of that night. Um, yeah, it was tired hands. It was like a savage gold record release party. And there was also the savage gold coffee stout or coffee IPA or whatever that, whatever yeah. that, they did <laughs> that, uh, was, was put out and, uh, we were down in Philly and, uh, Mike Wahlberg was there. All the guys from the band, yeah. the relapse people were there. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's been a while, man. Um, everything's good, man. Um, so, I, I mean, the last time we talked, I was into jiu-jitsu and I was teaching some jiu-jitsu, but uh, since then, now I'm a black belt and I'm even deeper into the jiu-jitsu thing. Um, Rosetta's still a band, but I don't, I, I had some personal stuff that happened in my life, so I pretty much stopped really going on tour for back in like 2014 and right. still make the records and then i would do shorter trips so like i went to russia a couple times i went to japan with them but yeah i started phasing out because of some personal stuff from from doing the touring part but still make the records with the band um and yeah I, i've kind of shifted into brazilian jiu-jitsu being my main focus main form of art that i do and and, and main passion and it's also a job which I'm not telling you anything you don't already know when you make the decision to take things that you love and turn it into jobs, the relationship with it changes, but you don't love it any less. 
Oh yeah, totally, man. Well, well congratulations on that. I, I think you and I spoke about jujitsu back then that night and, um, I was, uh, training regularly, but, uh, these days I kind of, like I, we were talking about a little bit earlier was, um, I don't, I don't train, I haven't been training jujitsu on its own for a, a few years, primarily due to, uh, a lot of joint issues I've been having with it. And, uh, you know, right now I'm like, all I, all I've been doing is, uh, you know, Muay Thai and, uh, oddly enough, you would think that if you're getting punched in the face all the time, you'd have more injuries, <laughs> but, uh, my joints are healthy, man. And <laughs> for the first time in years, you know? Yeah. I mean, like I, 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 when we were talking briefly earlier, I mean, it makes sense to me. I mean, uh, man, there's this weird thing that people talk about, about, and, and I, I have these conversations. I make this argument all the time where people talk about, you can do jujitsu a hundred percent. You can go all out and you can train every day and come back and do it. And you can't do it with the striking arts. And first of all, it's, it's crap. It's not true. Um, and I actually think that that mindset, I think that people have gotten confused in grappling and jujitsu, what going a hundred percent even is. Right. And then what starts to happen is that like you can be the tr the safest person in the world, but these people get this idea of what they think a hundred percent is. And they think that that's going maximum energy exertion, starting to like not focus as much on good strategy, good technique, good tactics. And then that's where the joint injuries start to come into play. And it's, it has nothing to do with you yourself. It has to do with these other people, but in striking and I've, I've done, I, I've done recently, over the last, so not so much as recently over the last six months, but before that, I spent a period of time working with a friend of mine who's also a jiu-jitsu black belt, but his primary style is Muay Thai. And I was training with him, and it's like the striking thing, you know you can't hit each other bare knuckle 100%. It would be stupid, right? So the training almost becomes smarter and more intelligent. And it has, I actually think it becomes more sustainable for most people as a result because nobody's oh, yeah. going to – kick each other without a shin guard in full force into the leg. Nobody's going to elbow anybody full force into the face. You're not going to do those things. Uh, so the training then becomes smarter and more intelligent. And like, I don't even think that that going all out thing is going a hundred percent. I just think it's bad strategy, bad tactics. And like, I've been, I, I mean, you know, this as well as I do in the martial arts world, it's very easy to, have access to the best guys in the world and train with them, especially right. as you are around it for a while and you climb up the ranks. Like most of those guys, even when they're having matches, they, they matches, they have moments where they go full physical exertion in the matches, but it's a lot less than what I think the more uneducated believe. Well, yeah, even, even going back to my, uh, the time where I was training jujitsu, you know, regularly, like multiple times a week, you know, like I, for a while I was going, I was training Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu about four to five days a week, both. Like I would do Muay Thai or I would do Jiu Jitsu first and I would train Muay Thai after that. And um, on certain days I would only do one, you know, maybe if it was a sparring day or something like that, I would just do sparring, you know, in pads or something. But um, all the injuries that I ever got were all with dudes who had very little experience. You know what I mean? Of course. Yeah, those are like <laughs> I broke my ankle one time, like you know, torn meniscus, uh, separated ribs, like things, you know, things like that. And it was all from from guys who had only really been training for maybe less than a year. 
you know? Yeah. I mean, I struggle with that. I mean, well, you know, and, and obviously people that don't know me don't know, but I'm, I'm not a big guy. I'm about 145 pounds. So I'm faced with dilemmas all the time because I'm, I'm the highest ranked person. I'm the lead instructor at the school I teach at. I go out and I, I cross train lots of places. And obviously when you're wearing a black belt uh, and you're tiny, the, the target's on your back constantly. And this actually just happened to me the other day. Uh, this is about a week ago. Uh, I went to train at a friend's school. who's a phenomenal black belt. His name's Zach Green. Uh, for, for anybody who's in the Philadelphia area, uh, he owns a school called Onyx Combat Sports. Uh, incredible practitioner, incredible instructor. Um, so I'm at his school and I'm training with one of his blue belts that has at least 80 pounds on me. Damn. And I catch the guy in a guillotine in about 15 seconds. And the guy says something that makes me feel bad. So I'm like, oh, I better ease up. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I was like, I didn't think I did anything wrong. He stuck his head down low. He gave me the guillotine. I'm going to choke him. Uh, and he, he said a couple things. And I, I was like, oh, maybe I'm going too hard. I'm like, it's not my school. I don't know this guy. And of course, it's a mistake. And I know better. But I, I made the mistake again. Uh, and I let this guy pass my guard. And then he slaps on a scarf hold. Super hard. Super aggressive. And I'm like, oh, God. Now... I eased up for a second and now I've got to turn back into going hard. I'm like, I'm giving up 80 pounds. I got to get out of this, reverse this guy. And I'm going to have to punish him with heavy pressure, do uncomfortable mean things because he doesn't have regard for my safety. And I eased up because he tricked me into feeling guilty about it. And it's, it's always the white and blue belt, sadly, for the most part. And it's like, I, I, I just don't understand it. I'm like, do you guys not understand you're being dangerous? Like, do you see these other people that are training? They can train with a level of intensity because they're doing intelligent, safe things. Well, yeah, even even um, just speaking about striking too, uh, I I do not like going to the open mat uh, sparring nights. Sometimes that other, you know, I used to go to like different places, and you know, there'd be like guys from different gyms that show up, and and um, you know, a lot of times you really are taking chances, especially with striking, you know, when you, when you go with someone that you don't know, cause you don't know what, you know, what their ability level is. And if they're like, yeah, they're there just looking to hurt people or what the deal is, you know, and these days I pretty much only, only spar with guys that I feel comfortable with. And I know, and even when I go to other gyms, like I have to know the guys there that I'm training with because I just don't trust people to do the right thing, you know? Oh, 100%, man. It's actually something that I've been struggling with a lot more recently. So uh, I'm like, I go to those, when I go to those places, it's to train with the other black belts and brown belts and purple belts that I know I'm friendly with. And, and that's not always universal. There's other, there's white belts and blue belts that can be high level. And I mean, it's a whole different conversation that I could go on a rant for a while about how I don't even understand why we have belts, but I understand the benefit is of it is sometimes it tells you this person has a certain level of experience and they put in a certain amount of dedication. So there should be a certain level of, uh, you know, understanding of keeping each other safe. That doesn't always happen with lower belts, but uh, yeah, I'm usually going to train with those guys I already know, but every once in a while, I have a hard time saying no to anybody with training. And it's been that way for a long time. And it's, for the most part, it's suited me. I've, I've only had one serious injury. Uh, 
I got like a partially torn labrum in my right shoulder. That's it. Yeah. Um, I've, I've somehow been able to avoid it, but I'm like, I'm, I know I'm playing with fire. And I'm like, I'm really going to train with the good guys. Like the advantage of sometimes I feel like training with those unskilled people is that it prepares you more for what you might encounter if you get into a fight, the craziness, the more risky behaviors. But there's a certain point where it's diminishing returns because you're like, I've already gone through this song and dance how many thousands of times and how many thousands of hours. So should I just train with the better guys that I know have a level of intelligence and a level of desire just to train for improvement? And even when you're going as hard as you can and exerting the most amount of energy and strength or flexibility, whatever, there's still, it's being done for improvement, not to win anything because winning is, that's what competition's for. And the higher level people usually know that they're like, if I want to win something, I'm going to go sign it for a competition. I'm not going to win anything in the gym, but the lower belt sometimes don't know that. Yeah, no, totally, man. That's, that's exactly right. And, uh, cause like every now and then, you know, even in my experience, you would still catch like guys like going really hard and sparring and, you know, and I, a lot of, you know, having some experience like i would just be like hey man why don't, why don't you you know talk to coach and sign up for a fight and you get into a fight camp and and you could you know fight somebody because like everyone else here is just looking to improve especially like in sparring where like you know maybe maybe you're, you're just trying to work on one specific thing that you have a weakness in you know what i mean like for example maybe you're working defense or something and you're you're just trying to put rounds in on your defense and then you get some guy who's like trying to fucking knock you out. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, it's like, all right, all right. I mean, I could counter you, but I'm really just trying to work on moving my head out of the way. And, you know, and, and you're, you're trying to, you're going like 95% on me. You know, it's, it's always counterproductive when you run into that. Well, what's weird is, and I, this is something I've noticed for a long time. I actually think that lots of those people, and it will never make sense to me. Like my mind's blown by this over and over again. I feel like the most competitive people in the gym are the people that are least interested in competing. Uh, and yeah. the true competitors are, are they're, they're like, I have to get better here. And these are my teammates. I also want them to get better. And there's this idea of let's push forward. I need to know that I can take chances with you because I need to experiment. I need to know that I can put myself in a bad spot. You're not going to rip something. You're not going to injure me. And it's the people that either, they have no interest in competing. And I don't think that everybody needs to compete. I think competing is a great thing. Um, I, I personally, I don't know if I'm going to do it again. I think I am. It's been a long time. It's been prior to COVID. Um, and I, and my last match was a loss and I left a bad taste in my mouth, but, uh, yeah, the people that like if, when you suggest that they look at you like you're nuts, they're the ones that always want to they're, they're trying to get the competitive drive out of the gym. And I'm like, well, these people are your teammates. That's and there's no wins or losses that happen in the gym. Wins and losses only happen in competition and in fights, which hopefully I, I, I definitely don't encourage. But it, it's something that happens, obviously, in life. And when I say fights, I'm not talking about sport of fights. I'm talking about street fights. Obviously. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, those those are the only places where there were actual wins and losses, and yeah, I mean, I I just I guess I can't understand the mentality because I'm like, I want to be I want to be the best version of myself possible as a martial artist, 
Um, and if I'm constantly just having like two, it's like a hammer, I'm the hammer and the other person's the hammer and we're bashing each other, there's no improvement. Do I get something out of it? Maybe occasionally, but how many rounds of that do you want in a week, a month, a year? It's not sustainable. It's not healthy. And it actually, it's, it's going to hurt your growth and development more than anything. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Hey, do you do anything for recovery? Like what's your, you know, I mean, you, if you, you were mentioning how often you train and you teach and you know, all this stuff, what kind of regimen do you have for recovery? Man, so <laughs> I, I wish I, I wish I need to take it more seriously, man, especially as I'm getting older. And uh, so I have found that the best thing for me has actually been focusing actually on my non jujitsu workouts. That has actually been the biggest change. But I, I think that so what I, I did for the longest time is I would only do go to the gym when I've made the decision that I was going to go compete and then I would come up with a workout program around that. And then I, the rest of the time I'd be like, well, I only have so many hours I can give to this right now. So I'm just going to focus on skill development, drilling, training. And then as it's time to compete, then I'll focus on the other exercise components. But the big change that I've really had probably now the last two years and that's about when two years ago was roughly when I, I hurt my shoulder and had the, the partially torn labrum issue that I have. I was like, I can't let this happen again. So I need to focus more on going to the gym. Um, so I do a combination of a few things. So I, I work, my other job is part-time at physical therapy office. And my, uh, the, the woman I work for, she is very much, she thinks outside the box. So there is a thing called Gold Medal Bodies GMB, and she's trained in that. She's very close with one of the guys who started it. His name's Ryan Hurst. He's an American who's based in Japan, judo black belt, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I think he's a brown belt now. Very nice guy. I've met him and, uh, and got to train with him. Um, so I do that for some functional movement stuff. And then I do like a three-day kind of lifting program, and I do uh, additional cardio around that. So usually I do like a warm-up of about 2,000 meters of either the row machine or the skier. And I usually then do lifting, but my lifting is more on the idea of I don't want to get injured. I want to be slightly stronger, but I'm not pushing my limits because I don't want to get injured at the gym. So I really focus on pretty much deadlifting. Ah, yeah. And, and squatting is pretty much the two main things that I focus on. Uh, lots of pull-ups, lots of push-ups, and I kind of do lot. I do a ton of shoulder work because uh, shoulders go 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 with jujitsu. But like, I split that stuff up across three days. Uh, but again, it, I think because I'm not lifting with any thought of like, hey, I, I want to be a power lifter, a bodybuilder. Uh, it it makes me stay in a weight range where I feel like I'm getting the benefits of being stronger. And, and being able to be more durable um, and then doing all the functional movement stuff. From, I, I love the GMB stuff. I think it's, it's some of the best stuff out there. For a little bit, uh, there's that guy, Ido Portal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know him. No, no I don't know him personally, but I know, I know of his work, I should say. Yeah. So there was a period of time where my instructor was uh, doing some, some private training with him, and he would bring back, and I would do some of the exercises with that. So there's some things that I, I just – 
kept with that and, and a few functional movements stuff that I do from that. But that has actually been the biggest thing. And I've noticed the biggest change is, is focusing more on that. Um, like I, I drink a protein shake. That's it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I cut out alcohol pretty much almost a hundred percent now, probably over the last six years. But honestly, when I really started training, I lost interest in that period. So it's really been 11 years of being very limited interest in that. It's usually more like I enjoy having a good beer from time to time. And it's more like when I'm seeing a friend and I'll have one or two and I'll just be like, that's it. And, you know, probably in a, a given year, I, I think if I'm going crazy in a year, I have 20 drinks in a year. Yeah, that's not a lot. Um, some people have that in like one night, really. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I feel like th th that's been the main shift for me. Uh, I, I think not not doing the alcohol thing is huge. I have, I don't know about the diet thing. So, I, in the grand scheme of things, I eat relatively healthy, but I don't, I don't know what the best diet is. I, I've got friends that do everything, every single thing. And I'm just talking about people that are involved in more athletic based things. And each person tells me a different thing. I have friends that do intermittent fasting. I have other friends that are in incredible shape. They're like, if you're not eating every two hours, you're, you're, you're not going to get enough calories. You're never going to get the calories in that you need. Um, friends that are vegan that do the plant-based thing, 100%. Other friends that are full in on the meat thing. I have friends that do the raw meat thing and, and across raw the board. Meat. So, yeah, I, I, I can't do it. But. Dude, <laughs> <laughs> that's some like serious, like, like caveman shit man that's fucking it, it, it is but you know like it, it, it's across the board like i know one guy who, who he had lots of skin stuff that cleared up from doing the raw meat thing damn okay uh you know like like it's like so okay so maybe there's something to it uh i don't do that i for the most part like i eat relatively okay i do have a little thing for for gummy bears that that's probably the biggest vice that i have but yeah like i mean i do a lot of seafood that's me personally do okay with the vegetables and the fruit i'm a little picky with fruits and vegetables but i definitely eat them regularly but like for example like i'm, I'm like for whatever reason I, I just can't bring myself to eat an apple i've never <laughs> liked apples <laughs> That's uh funny, like man. i love cantaloupe though for example i eat cantaloupe all the time i got no problem like i've got a, a sliced whole cantaloupe in the fridge i'll probably eat like a good chunk of that for breakfast tomorrow um yeah, like people talk about the how genetics play a part in that, and I think it does to a certain extent um, with the whole diet thing. But yeah, like I mean that that's I wish that I had some big secret, but I actually think that it's the exercise component outside of just the, the jujitsu thing is the biggest thing for me. Yeah, the diet stuff. I I, I believe that it really is different for everyone man because everyone's got different genetics their metabolisms are all different you know and, and it's funny i laughed about the, the apple thing because something very interesting happened with my like what i I'm, I'm like a modified like carnivore i guess because i i mostly eat meat with some vegetables but while i'm heavy on the meat i crave apples <laughs> you know what I mean? And if I was eating yeah. like a more balanced, quote unquote, balanced diet, like if I was having rice and stuff, I lose my craving for apples. It's funny, yeah, right? So it is, but I'm also not surprised by that because so this is where the gummy bear thing comes into play. So uh, 
my schedules during the summer get a little weird. Um, so I usually do an every other week thing. So I, I have seven days in a row where I teach every day, train every day. There'll be days where I'll double train, do two, two full on, like full on sparring sessions. And, and it, it, it varies. Like sometimes I'll do an hour in the afternoon and then I'll train for two and a half hours at night. Like it, 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 it varies. And, and I don't count teaching hours as, as training hours. Um, when I do that, I just think it's the glycogen your body's just like, I, I need, I need this, especially, I mean, I know you're an active person. I'm active. I think your body just goes, I'm not getting enough. I need this immediate source of energy. And it's things like apples. Like I find myself, even when it's not the gummy bears, I'm like, I never drink juice, for example. Yeah, I don't either. And then yeah. when I have a hard week, I'm like, I want an orange juice. Why do I want a glass of orange juice? And I'm like, oh, it's because I've been training hard. My body just wants the glycogen. I, I, I think that's it. I, I mean, again, what, what do I know? I'm, I'm just some, some, the only thing I really know anything about is jujitsu, and I, I can talk about like uh, some Japanese comic books <laughs> and a little bit about music. Like, like you know, like uh, I, I never like like the, and I, I think we're all guilty of it to a certain extent. It's like you get you get good at one thing, and you sometimes feel like, well, you, you're good at one thing, so you have some other things that you feel like you should be good in. I sometimes feel like I get involved in that with the, the diet stuff. Oh, yeah, I, I may yeah. be over, overstepping my boundaries a little bit, but I think it's usually that because I notice on the weeks where I'm not pushing it as hard, I, I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care. And when my schedule is a little more, so like in a couple of weeks, my schedule goes back to more what it's like for most of the year, which is about nine months out of the year where it's more set on. I do like four days a week of training and then the other week is about five or six days of training and it bounces back and forth with that it's and and, and it's not as many double sessions in a day because i feel like I, I missed out on stuff by having a week off of training um yeah i don't i don't crave that stuff as much uh and i just think it's it's your our bodies being like hey i need something you got to give me something to replenish this glycogen but like this is the interesting thing with that the 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 carnivore stuff right it's like if you can push through that then you get all the benefits of those diets if you crack then you're sometimes back at, at ground zero i'm i'm pretty loose with the diet so yeah. I, like i bounce all all over the place man like there'll be weeks where i could like fish every day and then there's other weeks where i'm, like, I'm just gonna eat avocados on bread <laughs> bread oh my favorite <laughs> yeah yeah now the um now the one the one thing i did notice with the quote unquote carnivore is that a lot of my joint issues went away because like i was as i was explaining earlier um you know i had some a lot of lingering like joint problems and uh my joints feel healthiest when i'm eating primarily carnivore with some of the fruit you know like the apples and berries and le just some leafy vegetables and and then maybe broccoli that's really pretty much what my diet consists of on a daily basis and my joints are fine. I can get into a full squat, you know, I can, I don't have any real inflammation issues, you know, and uh, that's primarily why I stick with it. You know, it is a very kind of a bland diet, you know, it's kind of boring, but it makes me feel good, I guess. And that's pretty much what I'm going. And my blood work comes back really good. You know, I go to the doctor every year and I get a full blood panel and I don't have, nothing's out of whack. Like I'm not, you know, I don't have to be on any kind of weird medications or anything like that. So I, I guess it's good, you know, for me at least. I, I, well, and yeah, I mean, I know tons of people that share the same exact opinion. 
you know, and, and, and again, it's, it's like, I think it's cool that you mentioned that you're doing the blood panel stuff. Cause that's a huge thing. I, I need to do stuff like that more, more regularly myself, because like when you actually have real numbers in front of you, then you actually in real data, you actually are then speaking from an actual informed position. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So when somebody goes, Oh, well, this other thing is better. It's like, okay, well maybe that's better for you, but I have these numbers that show that this is what's best for me. And I, I like numbers having like uh you know, like a technical background, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of numbers and science and all that sort of stuff, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, well, it comes down to, and again, I'm guilty of not doing this all the time. Like that's why it's so important to be tracking your sleep. Right. That's where tracking. I fail, man. That is my biggest downfall is getting enough sleep. And I, and I know that I need to get more sleep on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a that's a problem for lots of people, and and it's you know, well, again, like uh, when highly motivated people, I think that that's one of the hardest things, right? Because you're constantly in this state of going and needing to do things. Like it doesn't matter what time I go to sleep tonight; I'm going to be up by six a.m. Yeah, I already know it. Doesn't matter what time I go to sleep; I'm going to be up by six a.m. And like, like I haven't had dinner yet. Because right now is usually around the time that I'm usually coming home. Like I usually get home right about now, 10 p.m. And then it's like, I need usually about 30 minutes to unwind. And then I'm like dinner, but I still need to shower. Sometimes I shower first, sometimes I shower after I eat. There's probably somebody who's gonna hear that that trains jujitsu and is like, this dude's gross. He's not showering right after he's <laughs> That's done. what I was thinking but, actually. <laughs> but 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 some, sometimes I don't. I mean, I, I've been again this is this is the thing man too coming back to, to stuff that is unpredictable man i i've gotten ringworm one time in 11 years never had staff i i just right? got over a staff infection about two months ago so oh man sorry to hear that man no, it's okay. that, 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 that's that's not a fun one man i i i you know it's something that we've obviously i've been around and i've i've seen happen to other people but like yeah like you know like uh it's different for everybody, obviously, you know, a little bit. Um, but yeah, like, like, you know, I'm like going back to the things you were just talking about. I tell people that I've been eating dinner at, I can't like most nights I eat dinner at 10 30 or 11 o'clock. And they're like, what, how is that possible? They're like, all oh, these people say that that's going to make you overweight. And I'm like, well, obviously they're, they're wrong when it comes to me. I eat dinner at that time all the time. Oh, you're not going to get good sleep. I, I'm I'm asleep pretty quickly, but <laughs> again, I'm I'll be up. I'm going to be up at six a.m. Like it, it just is what it is. I, I my body's not. It's programmed to wake up at six a.m., so I wake up at six a.m. It, it just is what it is, you know. Uh, so I'm like, I know I need more sleep, but it, it, it's like the uh... win. One of the things I always wanted to ask you about too was like you've been teaching for a long time at this point. Yeah. How did you get into that, and like what kind of what motivated you to to start teaching? So this is a this is actually pretty strange, man. So uh, honestly, man. So prior to starting Rosetta, I was probably one of the most introverted shy people in the entire world man 
I would pretty much talk to about three people. There was three people I would talk to consistently. I would talk to my brother, and then I had two friends I was really close to, and nobody could crack, crack, crack my shell. Just, just wasn't possible. Then the band starts to tour, and I'm telling you stuff that you already know. There's a certain point where you're like, if somebody isn't friendly, we're not going to have a place to sleep. Yeah, totally. Yep. <laughs> so at some point, that helped me get out of my shell a little bit. But it would only be in the context of stuff related to the band. So it would be like when we're hanging out with bands that we're friends with or, hey, I got to you know, be friendly with this person who seems like they're a good person for us to connect with as, you know, person to play shows with in the future, touring, maybe they're going to help us out with shows, a place to stay, whatever. So I had tried jujitsu before uh, the guy I'm currently under uh, didn't have the best experience. And I was like, you know what, maybe this just isn't for me as much as I want to do it. Stepped away from it for a couple of years, came back. and Rosetta was not going to hit the road for a period of time. I don't remember why. So I was home. I was like, I can do this for 10 months, and then we're going to do a European tour and an Australian tour, and then I'll come back and I'll train, and then we'll start writing a, a new record. So uh, when I got back from that tour with – we went to – I'm sure you remember that band City of Ships. Oh yeah, totally. I know those Yeah, guys. yeah. So yeah. Eric Eric joined Rosetta eventually. As oh yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh we did I can't remember who we went to Europe with, but we did Australia with City of Ships. I remember that. We got back from that. And I think in between the European tour and the Australian tour, we were home in Philadelphia for four days and I went and trained three out of those four days. And then we went to Australia with City of Ships, got back. And I don't know why, because I, I think at that point, I had barely said anything to my, my instructor slash the guy who owns the school that I teach at. He saw something about the fact that I really liked it because I came home and trained those three days. And he was like, listen, I have nobody. My school's young. I don't have anybody. You live a little bit of a more unusual life. So how about when you're not on tour, I'll teach you how to teach and you'll help me out and you'll kind of get out of work and crappy jobs when you're not on tour. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. Uh, and I got tucked. He took me under his, his wing and then he set it up so I could go to the Gracie Academy in Torrance and do the instructor program under Huron and Henner Gracie. So I did that. Um, and even still, I, I, I knew I loved jujitsu. Like, and I, and I love music. I love playing music. I love creating music. But I, I noticed the difference between my love of jujitsu and my love of music very quickly. And the difference was that practicing my scales and practicing my instrument by myself felt more like a chore. And I knew I needed to do it so I could do what I wanted to do creatively with the other people in my band. When I do jujitsu, I don't care about doing the most mundane, simple drill 500 times in a day. So I, I'm sure you know what a technical standup is. Obviously, people that don't train don't know what a technical standup is or a standup up and base. Yeah. yeah. If, that, if that's, somebody, that's even something from wrestling, too. I remember back when I yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have no problem sitting down on the mat and doing technical standups for 30 minutes straight. 
I don't care. 45 minutes straight, an hour, I don't care. Two hours, I don't care. Uh, usually when I wake up in the morning, I, I grab my phone, I'll like look at some stupid stuff for 15 minutes and then I pull up uh, jujitsu instructional and I'll start studying it. And then I usually do that for 45 minutes, then I move on to whatever the next thing I, I'm doing that day. Sometimes I, I feel like eating, sometimes it's just drinking a coffee, sometimes it's jumping in the shower right away, I'm gonna do something like that. And then I take a little break and then it's okay, am I gonna study stuff for a little bit more? Am I gonna go to the gym? Am I going to go train what, what, like whatever it is, but it's, it's something like that, which again, I'm doing those things. I'm going to the gym to help my jujitsu. Right. Uh, and then it's like, okay, next time I have a break, I'm, I'm studying an instructional again. And I'm watching sometimes the same instructionals over and over again. Cause I'm like, what if I missed a detail? Like, I don't care about teaching technical standups. I could teach it for four hours in the same day. And I'm not going to care. Doesn't it like, doesn't feel like a chore. I love every aspect of it. Uh, so yeah, like I think that I knew that I, I knew, I think he could tell that I loved it and I knew I loved it. Uh, and then getting room with the teaching thing, I just, I started to come out of my shell, get more comfortable with it. And the next thing you know, I was just like, oh, well, this is, this is a part of it that I feel like, oh, I, maybe I can excel at this even more than the level I'm going to get to as a practitioner. And then I started to just fall in love with that too. And then I'm like, Hey, this is all just going to make me be able to do this thing that I love that I just want to do as often as I can. Um, wow. What an opportunity, then, man. That that's awesome. That really is a cool story about that. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is. And I appreciate it. The weird thing though, man, is it's one of those things where like, I'm glad that I had the opportunity, but it's a different world in jujitsu now. And I think that if and I, I feel this even about myself. I kind of sometimes wish that maybe I had spent more time a little bit training just to train before I became an instructor. But, you know, it, it's hard to know because am I the quality of instructor that I am because I got groomed to teach so young? But I think I'd be a better practitioner uh, if I had just focused on only training for a little bit oh, yeah. first for a longer period of time. Um, and, and I, I see it sometimes and I have these conversations with people a lot when that uh, when they're like blue belts and I'm like, man, you don't actually know if you love this yet. And I would my advice is focus more on yourself first, get a little bit better and then do it. It's like, man, uh, Jesse, Jesse from Kenmo said this to me years ago, who's another guy who trains mostly Muay Thai. Yeah, He's, he was like, I don't even know if he remembers me saying this to me, but we, we did. Uh, it must have been 2013 or 2014. We did like a short two-week run with them. And he, he said it. We were talking one day about training. And uh, he said, if you're over the age of 27 and you've gone on tour more than two times, there's something wrong with you, but you also genuinely love this. This isn't like a phase you're going through. And I started to reflect on lots of things where I'm like, man, so-and-so was a great player awesome musician his band was great and cool but like they did the one tour and then you were like this dude hates this yeah he yeah, hates it totally he he, he he hates it he has he's got no desire to do this it, it, it's just not in him it's just not in him right and uh, i think in jujitsu so 
I, I might get myself in trouble, but I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> here, here on Henner, I'm so my instructor is a black belt under here on Henner Gracie, uh, but he, he's no longer under their umbrella of being an affiliate at school. Oh, I was going to ask he's you still, about that if, if like that was the lineage that you had was a Gracie, you know, if you were connected with them. Yeah, so so uh, my lineage is Elio Gracie, who's one of the guys who's responsible for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, Gracie Jiu Jitsu. His oldest son, Hori and Gracie, and then his two sons, Huron and Henner, and then my instructor. So I'm pretty close to the lineage of, of the source or whatever. I mean, it's a good thing and a bad thing. And, and what I'm going to say, I don't really care. I mean, I'm, I'm honest with this stuff. Um, Huron and Henner pushed a lot for um, having younger belts teach. So their association is full of a lot of young blue belts teaching who I don't think should be teaching, which is really where I've been going with this for the whole time. Like, I just think that there's a lot of guys getting thrown into maybe they want to own a business or they're in the infatuation period or they think it's cool to do something outside the box. And they're like, oh, well, this seems cool. It's not a real job, which is a lie. It's a real job. And in fact, it's probably more work than what most people would call a real job. And I'm throwing up air quotes because that's a, there's no such thing as a real job. It's all every job's a real job. It's all baloney nonsense that people in the United States made to, to so they can get into the rat race of going to their nine to five job and hating their life and watching TV and sitting on the couch eating ice cream every night. <laughs> uh, you know, but like, there's a lot of guys that I think are in they're in that infatuation period. And then they own a school and they start teaching and they're not good themselves. The only reason why I think it worked is because I was under a black belt and I had a black belt there guiding me. And that's the only reason why it was worked. And I was very much being told you teach kids classes that are beginners kids classes and you teach adult beginners classes and that's it. And then once I got uh, towards the end of my purple belt, it was you can teach advanced class here and there. Then I got my brown belt and then it was okay. Now I'm going to start to transition out. You're going to start to become the lead instructor of this school. And then as a black belt, now uh, I'm the lead instructor at the school and I teach the bulk of the classes and, you know, I teach everything now, but like having the only reason why it was that controlled is because I was underneath one of their black belts. And that's not the case for most of their organization. And I've trained with some of these guys from that organization and, and I'm like, there's nobody doing any quality control. It's not all of them. There's some of them, some of them are great and incredible. And that's true of any association, especially in martial arts. But there's some of them where I'm like, man, this is just like a, a fad for you. Joe Rogan probably told you jujitsu is cool. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and that's why you're doing it. Like I, I remember when I went to the, the instructor certification thing, one thing that caught me off guard was I was like, some of these people are actually asking, here on and Henry for autographs. Oh wow! And I'm like, you've just, and I'm sure that that happens to those guys semi regularly because in the martial arts world, they're what would constitute as a celebrity. But I'm like, thinking in my head when I, I was there, and this is when I was really young to jujitsu. I was like, you just changed your relationship and your dynamic with them. They, 
I'm like, you probably don't realize it, but now you can no longer be viewed as a peer. At least that's my opinion. No, I, like, I agree with that to a certain extent for sure. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Like you, you, you've changed the dynamic, right? It's the same thing. Like if, and I, I mean, you've obviously been around music longer than I have, right? It's like if you're, we're playing a festival and you're with this band, like, like I'll, I'll use Rosetta for example. We played with Neurosis in Italy one one time, and uh, it was like us, Neurosis, City of Ships, and a band on the rot that it's that Italian band. I can't, their name's not come with me. It starts with a U, but I can't remember. Oh, Uz Uzeda. No, I don't think it was them. Hmm. Okay. But I, you might be right. It was a while ago, man. It was probably like 2009. And right. Neurosis is, is obviously an important band to lots of people. And, uh, I don't, I think it gets overstated that Rosetta sounds like Neurosis, but Rosetta doesn't exist without Neurosis. That's 100% a true statement. Rosetta doesn't exist without neurosis, but I don't actually think we sound like neurosis. But there's definitely a clear line that if neurosis doesn't create the, the albums they create, Rosetta never exists. It's not possible. Um, it's like, I, I remember I had a, a conversation with Scott Kelly, and we both know Eugene Robinson. Eugene Robinson is a mutual friend of both of ours. And we end up talking about at the time it was happening, Nick Diaz was supposed to fight uh, George St. Pierre, and we had a conversation, and somehow Eugene came up. And I had this really cool conversation with Scott Kelly, saw Neurosis on the, on the stage. If I had gone up to those guys and asked them for an autograph, <laughs> none, none of those conversations happened, and I wouldn't blame them for none of those conversations happening. No, you're absolutely right, man. And and I, I oftentimes have resisted the temptation to ask for autographs from a lot of people, <laughs> man. It's like, yeah, like Tom G. Warrior, Scott Kelly, Stephen Von Till, like all those guys, man. I would, I'm a fan, you know what I mean? But also, I was in, I've also been in situations where it's like, you know, I don't want to come off and make someone uncomfortable. And that definitely changes the dynamic. You're 100% correct about that. Yeah, yeah, and it, I mean, it, it, it not only does, they, they're going to look at you differently, yeah. right? Like, I, I think it, it changes the dynamic from being like, hey, I aspire to be your peer. And, and and even if you do end up as their peers, which I still think is possible if, if, if once you ask for an autograph, I think in their mind, now you put them at this level above you, and it's hard to take that back. Sure. Yeah. So. Like I, I noticed that, and, and this is a while ago. This must have been. I think I did that instructor certification program. I was either late 2012 or early 2013. And I was just like, I don't understand why you want these guys autographs anyway. But you changed the dynamic. You've changed the whole dynamic. I don't think that they're going to be able to view you as a as a peer in the future. And I don't. To be perfectly honest, I don't think those guys are going to view me as a peer anyway. I don't really care. To be perfectly honest. Uh, I mean, I've, I've, I mean, I mean, sometimes it's better not to, to, to meet some of the people that are, are the top dogs. I think that they're both really awesome guys. I think their jujitsu is incredible, but I think that sometimes that they want to hold on to this idea that they have the real jujitsu and the other people don't. And I think sometimes that that belief is a little harmful and a little unfair and untrue. Like, um, 
Yeah, I don't know how much you follow MMA or, or jiu-jitsu. There's a guy named Gary Tonin. He's yeah. one of the best grapplers in the world. He's a really good MMA fighter. Mm-hmm. So he beat Huron and Henner's brother in a uh, – his name is Hallett Gracie in a jiu-jitsu match. Submitted him in a 20-minute sub- no-points match. You can only win by submission. If nobody got a submission, it was just going to be a draw. He beat him, and Gary Tonin was giving up probably 40 pounds. Caught this guy in a submission. Um, so Gary lost his last MMA match. And it was the first loss of his career. He got knocked out. And Huron and Hender didn't do this, but Halleck, and it was public knowledge, went on. You see, that's why you don't go for leg locks in a, in a fight. You get knocked out. I'm like, man, you guys could go and have your own MMA careers. And Halleck, to his credit, did have his own MMA career. And he, he, didn't have the best MMA career, but he did do it. But, like, why are you criticizing somebody who's putting it on the line? Yeah, totally. Uh, and you you had your chance with a jiu-jitsu match with you. He beat you. So, at the end of the day, whose jiu-jitsu is better? It's his. He beats you. And he's doing all the principles that you guys talk about all the time of the weaker person, because he was weaker, giving up weight, only winning by submissions and no points. And it's like... Sometimes, and again, people have to make money. You start to almost believe your own hype. And, and I feel like that that's kind of to a certain extent what's started to happen with those guys. Again, I think that they're nice guys. I think their jiu-jitsu is incredible. I would not stand a chance on the mat with Huron or Henner. They would both cr- crush me. I, and I know that. But I think that to a certain extent, they've, they've, they're starting to believe their own hype. And, and I, I feel that way with lots of the Gracie family members, sadly. I think Hickson believes his own hype. He's talking about being 400 and 0, and we could have evidence of him having fights against professional wrestlers. And when I say professional wrestlers, like we're talking about the equivalent of Hulk Hogan in Japan. Some of his MMA fights, three of his MMA fights were against guys that were professional wrestlers in Japan. Like this is just stuff that we know. He also lost the Sambo match, which he just mysteriously seems to forget. But we can also look at his MMA record and see it's eleven and zero. It's not four hundred and zero. Right, right, right. Yeah, like, pro, like, yeah, like pride. And all that, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 you know, it's like, what are we selling? Like, and, and like, it's also, it's like that's the thing. It's like jujitsu is supposed to be real. Like wrestling is real. Like boxing is real. Like Muay Thai is real. Like, and and a few other martial arts are real. So why are we doing the whole? invisible jujitsu now you're starting to make it sound mystical and like there's something hidden and there's some secret and it's like again these guys need to eat i understand you know but like that that's the battle that you always need to fight right and it's a battle i fight all the time it's like this question of do you do the thing and say the thing that might garner you the average person liking you more or do you do the stay true to yourself and keep integrity and you're honest about things and you're like hey like no offense you can't train for two years and be prepared for a street fight like you're either committed to training or you're not right that's true yes like and it's like oh no you can do this program and and you'll be street ready you nah, go through man, our program nah, and you're street ready. Man. It's like, you guys know that's not the case. Like, but 
you got to make money, right? But when is it, when is it enough money? And and again, everybody has to make their own decisions. You know, like you know, it comes back to to uh, music, right? And 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 it's like I think like when I first started jujitsu, it was it was a so I started really training in in two thousand and and eleven. It's pretty much almost to the day my my eleven year anniversary. August twenty seventh is my eleven year anniversary to oh, the day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Coming, <laughs> coming right up. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, it was popular, but not to the extent that it is right now. Uh, like it's way more popular. I felt like it wasn't as tainted as I felt like music was. Like I remember, like this is like going back to high school. I don't even like Cannibal Corpse that much. I don't even know if I like Cannibal Corpse at all. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I respect Cannibal Corpse. I remember having an argument with a girl. In, when I was in high school, who never had played a musical instrument in her entire life. And she was trying to tell me that the Red Hot Chili Peppers were better players than Cannibal Corpse. And I was like, well, I'm biased. I don't like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I I think that Nick Cave quote uh, is right on the money about uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I don't know if you know which quote I'm talking about, where he's like, I'm forever listening to something terrible on the radio and it's always the red hot chili peppers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm familiar with that one. Yeah. 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 Like, like I'm like, I, so I'm like, I don't like the red hot chili peppers. They're, they're not my thing. Uh, but like Lee is a, Lee's a good bass player. John Frascante is a good guitar player. Uh, I don't remember the name of the drummer, but he's an okay drummer. He plays the drums better than me, better than I'll ever be able to play the drums. But like, uh, I think Anthony Kiedis is the like arguably the worst worst vocalist in the history of human time. I, I don't. I, I just can't get it. I don't get it. He can't rap. He can't sing. I, I just don't get it. He, and and it just also it sounds like it's devoid of passion and emotion to me. So I, I don't. I don't understand it. But I also don't think the songs are good. And I don't remember what album it was, but it it it, it was definitely an out one of the albums after. Uh, the the popular one, Blood Sugar Sex Magic or whatever. Okay, yeah. So she was trying to convince me that the Red Hot Chili Peppers were more talented than Cannibal Corpse. And I was like, just because you don't like something because it has screaming doesn't mean that the other thing's better. And just because something's more popular doesn't mean it's better. I believe if Cannibal Corpse wanted to sit around and write pop songs, they could. And in fact, I'm pretty sure that some of those dudes that have been in and out of Cannibal Corpse have played more modern rock in different bands. Oh, they have they for do. sure. Yeah, I forget the name of the band, but um, yeah, it's escaped me right now. But one of those guys had like more of a rock-oriented band. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like it's like so. It's like in music, it's like all the time. There's like there's this group of people that obviously everybody listens to music, right? So for the most part, uh, like so like people have these opinions whether they play music or not. So when you're like no drake sucks i'm sorry you're not going to convince me that drake has any talent he's just popular cool that's what i think drake is chasing drake's not making music because he cares about art he cares about being rich and famous cool that's his thing right but like people don't seem to understand that and unless they're actually somebody who has done an artistic pursuit in music right they just don't get it right this is they true yeah. yeah they, they just people think are just maybe they... chasing 
popularity. Yeah, they're, they're fame and fortune, and you know, it's a name that's like around and they're familiar with, so they automatically assume they have talent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, so it's like for the longest time, I'd be like, well, yeah, I'm like, what, what do I care about your opinion? Well, now I feel like that's entered in jujitsu. And I, 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 I like, man, so again, I, I don't know how much you follow this stuff. So the other day, this past weekend, one of the greatest people to ever do jujitsu was he was pretty much executed by oh, off-duty yeah, police yeah, officer. Think, yeah, His I, name's Le- Leandro Lowe. Yep. Yeah, he was shot in the back of the head by this off-duty police officer. Leandro Lowe is, in my opinion, he's in the 10 most influential people to ever do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, eight, eight world championships. Most of the modern jiu-jitsu passing that happens right now is based off things he did. There's a lot of things, guard work, that he kind of pioneered that's a major part of the modern game and it's things that almost everybody does incredible athlete so one of his best friends is a man named felipe pena he had a match against so felipe pena is also one of the best guys in the world uh and has been for the last decade he had a match against a guy named gordon ryan who's also one of the best guys in the world and i'm reading comment after comment so they had a, a sub-only match that was no time limit, and Felipe Pena just had his friend died. He did the match anyway. I don't care whether what anybody says. You know, in the heat of the moment, you have other people whose livelihood is on the line. You make a decision. The whole event, in my opinion, should have been canceled, but it went on. He did the match in about 45 minutes, and he tapped to nothing. 45 yeah, minutes. Done. He tapped to nothing. Yeah, cool. I don't, I lose no respect for him. He's still the best, one of the best guys in the world. Doesn't matter. Who knows, man? People grieve in different ways. Maybe it had nothing to do with his friend dying. Maybe he just had enough. He was like, this is stupid. I don't care. Who knows what happened? Maybe he was tired. He said, I'm good. I'm done. I, I just don't even need to, to deal with this anymore. 45 minutes know. is a long time, man. It is. It is. <laughs> wow. Uh, at 45 minutes. And, and there's all these people talking trash on Felipe Pena on the internet. And I'm like, you guys would get, all of you would be destroyed by Felipe Pena and Gordon Ryan in under a minute. And you're talking trash on this guy who went through this traumatic event of losing his friend. His friend called him the night that he died and he didn't answer the phone call. You know, like imagine, imagine being being like, man, my friend called me on the night he died. I didn't answer the phone because I was tied up with something related to this jujitsu match, and the the jujitsu match is unimportant in the grand scheme of things. But it's like man, these people. I'm like, I'm like, so they obviously train because nobody watches jujitsu or follows jujitsu that doesn't train. It's not a thing. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, where are you guys coming from? talking trash on this guy who's one of the best guys in the world to ever do it, Felipe Pena. Because, oh, he tapped to nothing. I tapped to stuff in the gym when it's real submissions. I want to tap to that. It's like, who are you? You couldn't even you couldn't even carry this guy's gym bag probably up the, the stairs without complaining. Damn. Like, like I'm like, I'm like, like, but I'm like, I'm like, you know, like, I'm like, this is what happens. This is what happens when something starts to get more popular. People start to get into it for the wrong reasons. And it starts to corrupt it. I'm starting to feel some of the things that I felt where I'm like, 
somebody who doesn't really know it, but they're like, well, I've, I've trained 15 times. I've trained for a year and a half. They're telling you who's good or bad or ah, I wanted to tap to that. I'm like, you wouldn't have been in a match for 45 minutes with the best guy in the world. Do you know how impossible it is to, to get to that level? Dude, I don't, 45 minutes for with, even with the worst guy in the world is a long time <laughs> to be on the mat with somebody, man. I can't even fathom a 45 minute round. Jesus, it, it, it is, but but like like we're talking about like we're talking about like the best guys in the world. Yeah. These guys, these these two guys are literally like they, they they have an argument for being the two best guys in the world at Brazilian Jiu Jitsu over the last five years. They have they have a a legitimate stake at that. That there's very few people that even can enter into the conversation. There's maybe four other guys that are even worthy of being brought up in the conversation. The best five grapplers of the last five years and it's both of these guys i'm like man like you guys just because gordon ryan said that this guy sucks now you're saying he sucks because you're all just chasing this imaginary clout because he's the famous jujitsu practitioner he's the one who's been on joe rogan he's the one who's been on the lex friedman podcast okay and felipe pena hasn't because felipe pena's english isn't good <laughs> It, it, it's it's bizarre to me like you know but like and i and i i think that i'm insulated enough and i'm deep enough into this it's not gonna hurt my relationship with jujitsu but it's like man like jesus christ like it's like you know like people just they they chase these little short trends right and, and then they they start talking from this uneducated viewpoint and they talk about it as if it's fact and, and the internet's given these people the voice to do it and again it's my fault for even looking at it or reading it i, I should be avoiding it but it's, it's just insane to me you know yeah that that's that's the spiral that the whole world is in right now man and you know this this totally this pestilence of social media and opinions and the remote nature of interacting on social media has given people like this very warped sense of reality and what's the actual proper way to conduct yourself. You know I mean? That that's rampant throughout the entire world right now, it seems. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it's, you know, but it, it, like, man, it's like, I'm trying, let, let me think of somebody like, dude, I hate the Red Hot Chase Peppers, like I said. I'm not going to say Flea's a bad bass player. It doesn't matter that I, I, I think the Red Hot Chase Peppers songs suck. The dude can run circles on me on the bass every day for the rest of his life. He's forgotten more probably weird bass techniques than I'll ever even learn. Like, you know, like, I, I can't do any slopping with, with the slap and pop stuff. I don't, I don't do that. I'm, I'm never, I have no interest in it, but like, you know, he cool. He Lee's great at that. I'm not going to pretend he's bad because I don't like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He's a he's a great bass player, you know. But like, who, you know, it's just again, it just comes back from this uneducated. It's like, oh, I've been playing bass for a year, so now I have the right to say that Lee sucks at bass. It's like, what? Oh well, I don't like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, so he sucks at bass. No, he doesn't. You just don't like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which is fine. That, that, that's cool, you know, but you don't get to say he sucks at bass. Same yeah, that's, that's the thing about music in general, that it's such a subjective thing, you know? I mean, 
there's a lot of stuff out there that I think is, you know, that I love that most people would make fun of me for liking, you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, it is totally subjective and I like it, you know, but it's, is it good? Who knows? You know, it's like to someone it's good. You know, obviously a lot of people like red hot chili peppers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, like the thing is even with the red hot chili peppers, so I, I, I'm beating up on them a little unfairly, uh, because, like, again, they so they've sort of transcended what, and I used this term earlier, what I would call the novelty phase. So, uh, I, I'm actually I, I'm I'm a fan of of Alice in Chains. I've always been a fan of Alice in Chains. Uh, the drummer from Alice in Chains said something interesting a long time ago, and it stood out to me. I I think he might have said this in like 2003 or something like that. He said, "The music industry is designed to have you be." from the day you get signed to the day they want to throw you in the trash, five years. That's the cycle they want. Five years. And then they want you gone. They want you completely gone and eliminated. And I'm like, that's the whole pop culture world. Whether we're talking about clothing, whether we're talking about movies, right? It's like a style of movie is popular and they want to, shove that style of movie down your throat for five years then they want it to be to move on to something that's a little different and then they want to recycle the same old ideas they want grunge is the thing right like dude alice in chains is not first of all grunge isn't a style of music that's a different conversation but alice in chains soundgarden pearl jam nirvana the bands that were listed as the big four grunge bands none of them sound alike no, and furthermore, Alice in Chains started out as like a like a, a metal band, you know, like they straight did. up like Guns N' Roses kind of thing. They did one hundred percent right, but like even 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 that their 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 shift to the grunge thing when they released Facelift, that's closer to being like metal than it is whatever grunge was supposed to be. Pearl Jam sounds like I, I don't even know what Pearl Jam how to describe Pearl Jam sounds like. They're kind of just like. I, I'm probably going to get myself in trouble with somebody. I, they're kind of, and I, I, <laughs> I, I'm going to say it anyway, but like they're kind of just bro rock. I mean, like, oh yeah, uh, dude. I, 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 I don't, I've never ever been a fan of Pearl Jams. You know what I mean? Yeah, it just know, never resonated yeah. with me, you know? Yeah. Nirvana was kind of like a punk rockish Beatles to a certain extent, right? And none of these bands sound the same. And the, and the bands that probably are more, responsible for whatever the grunge sound was supposed to be or bands like the Melvins. Yeah. I mean, I mean, not for nothing that, that whole, uh, grunge thing was something that was just kind of made up by like journalists. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Like you know, that, all those comes... bands were probably just like, yeah, we're playing punk rock music except for, <laughs> except for Alice in Chains. Like they, they were like, yeah, we're like, you know, guns and roses and like LA guns and stuff. That's kind of, yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't, I also don't think Pearl Jam thought they were playing punk rock, but that, that, yeah. Well, it, they I, they're, they're up there. They, those guys are manufactured, man. Like that was the remnants of mother love bone. And, you yeah, know, they got yeah. that dude from San Diego to be the singer, you know, it's Any like, better, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, it was put together because there was an yeah. existing record deal for mother love bone, you know? Yeah, yeah, you, but like, but but I I think that that point is is huge. It's, it's like these five year trends. Yeah, and I started to notice in jujitsu. So like, uh, in jujitsu, 
uh, about five years ago, there was this, there's this move called a Baron Bolo. And obviously yeah, yeah. in jiu-jitsu, people are going to know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So when I first started, there was the Baron Bolo craze. Because my jiu-jitsu instructors under the Gracies, I missed the Baron Bolo craze, but I knew what the Baron Bolo was. So uh, the Mendez brothers were, were two of the big guys that did it. And they're incredible jiu-jitsu practitioners. And then there became about five years after that, now about five years from you know, ago from right now, there was the, oh, the bolo doesn't work. It doesn't work. And then it started to phase out except for a select few people. Well, now the Baron Bolo's back again. Why is it back again? Because now the black belts that are competing right now are guys that started training with Hoffa and Guy Mendez back in like 2009, 2010. So now they started learning the Baron Bolo from the beginning. So the trend's back around. Just and, like, and if I might jump in real quick, that's also more for like uh, like a, the lighter weight classes are really big on that technique. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, you don't yeah, see yeah. guys I mean, like two hundred pounds plus like trying to pull that off, really. You, you do see some, but not as not as many. It's definitely, but but like you know, it like it comes back in this trend. Like, so uh, I think you trained at Marcelo Garcia's school for a yeah, that's, right? Yeah, yeah, for a few years I trained there. Yeah, yeah. So Marcelo Garcia's stuff is back now, and it's like uh, so I think. Gordon Ryan, again, his stuff is incredible. His coach, John Donner, is incredible. I study their stuff all the time. There's no doubt in my mind, I think Gordon Ryan is the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu athlete in the world right now and has been for the last few years. I see things all the time, but I'm like, that's stuff that Marcelo Garcia was doing back in 2008, 2009, 2010. It disappeared for a period of time, and then it comes back. It's like these trends. And, 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 you know, and then something, somebody tries to do something new and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And, and you know, it's, some, it's a question of what the intention is, but like, it's like these almost manufactured trends sometimes. So somebody can sell an instructional and when it's in jujitsu oh. or somebody can sell a t-shirt. Oh, so you think it's, it's related to that? So you think it's related? Cause that's a big industry for, um, you know, for like videos and instructional programs and things like that. Yeah. So, so like, uh, have you ever, I'm sure you've heard the term seminar move. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So like I notice it all the time, right? Like you're, I'll watch instructional sometimes. And I, I don't, I don't think that, that Gordon Ryan and John Donahue are guilty of this, but you'll get an instructional like, this is a bunch of seminar moves. You don't do this. Right. Like and you're like you 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 probably dragged somebody into even buying it because you posted something that was unrealistic and super fancy and overly complicated on the internet that got a bunch of likes and then you released the full instructional because now you have a bunch of followers and wow yeah you know I never really looked at it that way uh, and again it, it is what it is you know like yeah so there's two ways you can go about this stuff right you can go about it by well really there's three ways you can be a great instructor who's producing great practitioners and then you get your reputation out that way you can be a great athlete who's a great competitor you get your name out that way or you try to figure out ways to sell flash right and sell quick eye appeal right like you, you you post some overly complicated thing on the internet that somebody thinks looks cool because it does look cool but it has no practical value. Oh yeah, definitely, man. It's like, um, 
Yeah, it's almost like those guys that are you know, like the tornado kicks and all this other stuff too, which really is like it looks really cool when you're throwing these kicks on a bag, you know, at LA Fitness or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you're trying yeah, to you know? pull that off in a fight or like in a sparring match with somebody, it, it's it's pointless. You know, it's pretty much like an ineffective move. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and it's like it's like, but like, you know, again, it, it's a hard conversation to have because you end up in these situations where you're like, well, people need to eat, people need to make money. So, okay, maybe they made that decision. That, that That's fine, you know? Like other people, they wanna do things where they're like, I don't wanna sacrifice my integrity. I'm not gonna show crap to show crap. Like um, there's a, a, a great Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in, instructor named Robert Drysdale and he's yeah. also a phenomenal mm -hmm. athlete himself. Robert Drysdale talks about this relation to jiu-jitsu all the time. He's like, there's too many moves. Why are there so many moves? He's like, if I go do a boxing class, I'm going to work on 20 moves, and that's going to be it. And I'm always going to work on 20 moves, and nobody gets bored. But yeah, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you don't show a new move every day, you suck. You're a terrible instructor. You don't have any knowledge. And most boxers only throw like one or like, – like there are boxers who win just on their jab. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like the, the, the first – punch you learn is the jab and there are guys out there who who win a fight just throwing a good jab you know yeah no, nobody complains they, they and I, I was i was like man you know it, it made me reevaluate some things with teaching i'm like i'm like man there's been multiple times where i'm like hey if i don't show something new maybe my students are going to think that i'm i'm not a good instructor because that's what i've heard coming up for as long as i've done jujitsu in the community it's like Oh, it should be a new move every day. Move of the day, move of the day, move of the day. New move every day. And it's like, well, how is anybody going to get good if you're jumping around new moves all the time? And this is where music comes into play, right? And, and I think this is part of the reason why so many people who do music find the martial arts and enjoy the martial arts. Because like when you're in a band, how many times do you play the same song over and over again? Oh, countless times, man. Yeah, no, nobody, nobody in a band complains when you're at practice and you're playing the song that you've played 10,000 times another time. Nobody complains. We all just do it. And the other thing is, is that, like, as a musician, you're so used to rejection that you're almost, you don't care when something goes bad. And, and like, but like, so we've had this conversation in Rosetta a lot. Uh, it's like, when you're in a band, how many times have you presented an idea to one of your band members and they're just like, dude, that sucks? Oh, yeah, dude. I, or, or even yourself, like filtering your own ideas. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, you know, before I've thrown away, I can't even remember, before I even brought it to practice, you know, and then and then there's the ones that the guys in the band don't like, you know, it's like. <laughs> but, but like, 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 yeah, like, and I'm glad that you just said that thing, man, because it's such an incredible point, right? Like, we, we all do this, right? Where like, you come up with this idea, and it, you're, you, you even demo it, and you're like, man, this idea is great. This is an awesome thing. And you go back and you listen to it a week later, and like, what is this crap? Yeah, it's totally unlistenable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's, it's, I think that's part of the reason why there's such an appeal because that's what doing martial arts is, and that's what it is, and that's part of the reason why there's also such a high attrition rate with martial arts and in music because people can't deal with rejection, they can't deal with having a bad practice, 
They can't deal with playing a bad show. They can't deal with losing a match. Man, there is a viral video of me getting flying armbar that makes the rounds once, probably about every six months. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I, I got, yeah, it, it's there. It's out there, you know? Like, I, 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 and like, I saw comments and I was like, okay, cool. Well, guess what? I'm the one who took this match that obviously was filmed and it was a big enough of a deal that it ended up all over the internet. You guys can do this too. Nothing's preventing you from doing this. If you show up, you're going to get embarrassed sometimes. That's just part, part of it, right? Like, sorry, you've you got to make the decision. If you're not okay with it, well, then you're going to miss out on a lot of great opportunity. It just is what it is. Sometimes you're going to be in Europe playing some huge festival and there's going to be 2,000 people and you're going to mess up the song. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, man. It I've, I've humiliated myself on stage. I don't know how many times, man. Just little things. You just got to keep trucking, you know? Yeah, exactly, right? It, it, it's just, okay, cool, that happened. And you, maybe you, you might be frustrated for a little You got to move on to the next day. It is what it is. You're going to play shows where there's one person there. Okay, you play for that one person, you move on to the next show. It happened. Like, and it, it goes in these huge waves, right? And again, that's why I think that lots of people that play music, they find the martial arts because you're already conditioned to all that stuff. And I've said this for a while. I actually think that being in a band might be the most competitive thing in the entire world. I don't, I can, I don't think that there's anything that comes close to being in a band and being playing music. Because yeah. you're literally having songs compete for each other against each other to determine which one is are the songs that qualify to be good enough for other people to hear. Yeah, and it's like and once again going back to the subjectivity of um of music and just art in general, there's so many intangible things that are just out of your control too that you don't have any any say in it. You know, like whether or not someone likes your song has nothing to do with how well recorded it is or how good of a player you are or how many times you practice that song. It's just some people like it and some people don't, you know, 100% like, man. Yeah. This it's no, it's, it's just, it's a yes or no thing or at the, at the very, or the, or an even worse case, it just doesn't impact someone at all. You know? Yeah. And, and well, and that's another thing that, that, that I think is interesting with the music thing, right? Cause that's actually the worst thing is indifference. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather have somebody hate it and tell me I'm, I suck and I'm terrible than somebody be like, yeah, whatever. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I hate yeah, that. You know, I, hate, I hate that feeling. Yeah. But yeah, like, like, and then like, we're, we're just tip of the iceberg with the level of the, the competitiveness with the music thing. Like I, I've thought about, about this multiple times, like, some of the stupid drives that are long and dangerous that all of us have done. And it's all been more than one time. And it's literally like, you're like, well, I don't want to pass up this opportunity. We also need to fill the, that day. Right. And sometimes you're, you're, you're like, well, if we don't do this, somebody else will do it. So you got to do it. Like, I remember we one time did like some drive where it was like, we had to leave Berlin after the show to go play one show in like, there was some big festival in Sweden. And as a result, we weren't allowed to play any other shows in any of the Scandinavian countries or something like that. Right. And we drove straight through overnight, stopped somewhere, slept for a few hours, did the rest of the drive, played the show. And then after the show's done, it's like, okay, well now we have to start the trek to get back to somewhere else in Germany. 
and this is a unique uh, you know as well as i know this isn't some unique thing that only we did this stuff happens right yeah how is like, being like yeah that's exactly how it is and you know and like and that and that's just like the part of it where it's like sometimes you do these drives you almost kill yourself getting there and there's like five people at the show you know what i yeah. mean that you're like yeah. fuck man like i almost like <laughs> i like laid my life on the line to fucking get here and there's like three people here you know and then one left while you're set while you're playing your set yeah but you know that, that that's the reality it's like again it's 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 i don't even think people think of it lots of times and under like like that way but i think of it it's it's this highly competitive act that we're all doing and again it, it, it's it's a healthier level of competition because like like I've thought about this stuff so many times and we've had these conversations before. It's like, man, like there's two slots opening for this tour and a couple people want it, right? Okay, well, when your friends get the tour slot and you didn't, you congratulate them. You're not like, oh man, like, oh, they got the, the cool tour and, and we didn't. You're like, okay, cool, they got it, awesome. Like, it's not like some sort of like, and again, that's not always the case. There's people that suck and everything, right? Well, that's a whole other thing where there definitely are bands that offend me with how bad they are <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that are fucking successful. And like, I can't get, I don't understand it. But then again, that's like, that's just like some ego shit too, you know? And I just like have to like deal with it, you know? It's just, okay, well, you know, more, there's something about them that people like, you know? Yeah, but you, you, and, and I guess this comes back to, to some of the things that I've been saying the whole time, though, right? Like, and I don't know what the answer would be when we, if we were to ask some of these people, but would some of those people take their quick rise to being more popular with a huge rise to popularity, in the, but then a quick burnout and they disappear? or somebody like you who's been able to sustain putting out music now for what, 20, 22 years? Well, it, but all the different bands longer I've been than in, that? definitely probably longer than that. Probably my whole life, really. I mean, I've been playing in bands since I was like, you know, 19 basically. So yeah, it's a long time, man. But and, and you know, it's, it's going to get put out on a label. Yeah, pretty much. People are going to listen to it. People are going to like it, right? Like, or you could be in, I don't know, man, like, I'm trying to think of like one of the bands that was popular when I was like in like maybe high school or like yellow card. I don't know if yellow card's still a band. I don't even know who they are, man. <laughs> they were some pop punk band. Like, like that's my, they were like some popular pop punk band that had like one hit song. Right. Yeah. And it's like, like, you know, like maybe they are still a band. So maybe I'm using a bad example. I don't, I don't have any idea, but like, it's like, okay, they have this short burst. But I'm probably sure there's a couple guys that like, man, it, maybe I should have just kept my integrity. And maybe Yellow Card likes being Yellow Card. So this could, again, be a bad example. But like, if I had done what I wanted to do, made the songs I wanted to make, and not been like, hey, if I write this pop song that'll get me on the radio, that these guys in these suits tell me, oh, this is our opportunity and we're going to push you down everybody's throat. Maybe you're still making the songs you want to make 20 years later. And there's an audience for it still. And it's not like somebody who then just wants to come back to it for nostalgia when they play it to, for their kids 16 years later. And then you just become like, the only reason why you're able to play music ever again is because it's some nostalgia thing for people living out their fantasies when they're like, oh, this is this thing that I liked when I was 16 and I want to feel like I'm 16 again. 
you know. Yeah, well, probably like the biggest influence when it comes to that kind of thing, who I look up to the most are the Swans and like Michael Michael Gira, you know, just like he's been at it for so long and the Swans have had their ups and downs and with, within his career, he's done other things like, you know, Angels of Light and he had a solo record yeah. and things like that. And like no one goes to see the Swans because they want to see hits. You know, they don't even like you're like you're not going to see the Swans play because you want to see something off of like, you know, uh, Children of God or something like that or, you know, or, or Cop. You're going because you want to experience what this guy does with his band, you know, and that's always been like the biggest thing in my life is like I would rather do something like that where there is no nostalgic element to it. It's just someone who has this long career who just keeps doing interesting music at every step of his career and people appreciate it. And frankly, the Swans are probably bigger than they've ever been like right now, like in the, in the quote unquote twilight of this dude's career, you know? Yeah. So, uh, when I think it was 2015, Rosetta recorded an album up in, in Providence and me, Matt and Eric all went to go see them play at, I can't remember the name of the venue, but it was like a sold out show. It's a nice theater in road Providence. And I'm like, Whoa. Right. But like, in my opinion, I think you, you are successful in having that, sustainability man and and having an audience and having people that care about what you do that's my opinion of of you you know oh thanks yeah i appreciate it but you know that that comes from again doing things with integrity man like i was actually thinking about this the other day so i think you put out this record i could be wrong but you put out this record by this band called the heuristic yep i did that was part of black box yep yeah i love that record all the members of Rosetta love that record. And we played some shows with them. I don't even remember what year, but I remember we played with them in Tampa and maybe Gainesville and somewhere else we were both on tour. I mean, they obviously haven't been a band for a long time, but it's like, you're the dude who put that cool record out all that long ago and you're still doing cool stuff. Lots of people don't get to say that. And it's like, people fall by the wayside, left and right. You know, and, and again, it, it, it's a question that I ask over and over again. If you're chasing this, hey, I want to do this thing because I want attention, I want to be famous quickly, and I want popularity. Do people sometimes have long sustained careers? Yeah, it happens from time to time. There's people like Beyonce and stuff like that. Again, I don't, I don't like Beyonce, but she's obviously transcended a, a multiple trends. But they're a lot less than the people that stick with and do things with integrity. And yeah. those people maybe never get the big shine that they deserve, whatever that that is, you know, but like it's more sustainable and it lasts longer. And there's something to be said about that. And, and there's there's something that's incredible about that. And in the grand scheme of things, they're usually the ones that are actually the influential artists. That's oftentimes the, the case. The yeah, I could see that, man. Like, just once again, going back to Michael, you know, the Swans. And it's like, yeah, I mean, he's enjoying a lot of success now with the Swans, but there was a period where they had all but disappeared, you know, for a long period of time. You know, and he was doing Angels of Light, and no one, that was like great, but did not have the commercial success 
that he was probably hoping for, you know, and, and, uh, but those records still exist and they still are influential on people, you know, and a lot of these other hit machines that have longevity are, have become like the fat Elvis version of themselves though, in the later (laughs) parts of their career, you know, they're like the Vegas, they're like the Las Vegas, uh, residency version of the band, you know, where it's like, they have to play the song that's like 25 years old. You know, they don't, they can't play new material because everyone's there to see the hit from 1985, you know? Yeah. Well, like, and again, you know, that, that is what it is. And that's what it always is. The same question. Do you want to chase this idea of like chasing success, which there's no guarantee of success, or you just do things with integrity and do what you want to do. And then it, it might get to a certain level where, again, it's it's sustainable, right? And it's the same for longer. I, I think it's a fool's fool's mission to, to be like, I'm going to do things for success. But again, you and I both know that that happens in music. I think it's starting to happen in jiu-jitsu, but I don't really understand why it's happening in jiu-jitsu because up until a few years ago, nobody was making money off jujitsu unless they transitioned to doing MMA or they owned a school. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was like the big move, really, you know, and even in MMA, it's really hard to make money, you know, like it's hard to be yeah. successful with that, you know. But now there's Gordon Ryan is legitimately making money and he's, but he's an exception. He's the one, but it's leading to these new people that are coming into the art that are kids they're they're, they're kids they're probably like 16 17 18 19 20 right thinking oh i can do the same thing that he is and also younger people have really embraced this kind of disposable nature of like our culture you know what i mean like there there is this uh immediate satisfaction vibe that younger people seem to be enamored with and that probably translates into this jujitsu experience that you're um, you're describing, you know. Yeah, like, I like think become uh, what, become what, famous, what? like you know, internet, you know, TikTok, you know, I'm, my th- my three second video is going to go viral, like that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and again, so Gordon Ryan's, in, you know, he's an exception, but like he's also set himself up where he is a good, he, he's a pretty good instructor. And he's set up with a guy who is also a great instructor and John Donaher has been around for forever. I mean, yeah, definitely. You know, so, but, but yeah, like it's like Gordon Ryan does it and they're all trying to do it too, but they're not being successful at it. And they're having this, a couple of them start to look like, Oh, maybe they're going to do something, but then they can't because at the end of the day, despite whatever is the real Gordon Ryan or not, Gordon Ryan loves jujitsu. That dude trains as many hours as any person on the planet earth per, per day, per week, per year. That dude is legitimately doing something jujitsu related eight to 10 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah, there definitely. Are, I mean, he's, yeah, he's, he's like the real deal. Like for sure. You know what I mean? Gordon Ryan. I, I mean, yeah, yeah, he tore, he tore his LCL or PCL and got on an airplane and taught in a wheelchair in Louisiana, like four days later, like he's legit. But again, the people that he's inspiring maybe are, and they're, you know, again, we've seen this in music 
and again, that's why, again, people have to make their own decisions. But it's like if you do things with integrity and you stay true to yourself and you do the things you like, you might like the result more. And it might even be a longer, more sustainable career instead of chasing this flash in the pan success. Yeah, I can I can agree with that for sure. You know, and uh, yeah, I, I never realized like I don't follow jujitsu as much as I mean, I follow MMA pretty closely. And like I haven't really followed a lot of the pro jujitsu stuff. Like, uh, you know, I watched like Polaris when that was, you know, they would have Polaris matches. Like there was some stuff on, on uh, what was it, Flow Grappling. There was like some yeah. pro, pro events. And uh, and back when, um, uh, what's the Gracie, Halleck Gracie had something. Um, Metamorris. Metamorris. Yeah. And then there was a couple of things that Eddie Bravo did that I thought was interesting with the submission only stuff. Yeah, the Eddie Bravo Invitational. Yeah. But aside, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but but that that's like still that's like a few, several years ago, really a lot of that stuff. But I guess I I've read about a lot of stuff, but I haven't really watched a whole lot of pro jujitsu tournaments recently. Yeah, so so the Eddie Bravo thing, that's where what where Gordon Ryan originally made his name. Yeah, that that's where I remember him from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he, he tore through all these guys, and then he started then winning all the other tournaments. So you started winning ADCC, IBJJF, Nogi World. And then now he's the guy who set it up where you can, and again, it's really just him and a couple guys, but they have these super fights and they're getting paid good money for just one match. And Flo grappling records it and streams it live. And then they put it on replay. He's the guy who's setting that. And that's what people are chasing. They're chasing being like him. He's the guy who's being sponsored by Muscle Farm. Like jujitsu guys don't get sponsored by protein companies, <laughs> yeah. Supplement companies. That's Gordon Ryan. Gordon Ryan got got sponsored for this upcoming ADCC in five weeks. He's sponsored by like Bitcoin and, and Joe Rogan. <laughs> Bitcoin. That's awesome. Yeah, like yeah, like Bitcoin sponsored him and Joe Rogan. Like it, 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 it's, but again, it's him. He's he's unique, but he's given these people this idea that they can do it too, and then they start to follow his lead but some of the reason probably why it worked for him is some of it is that he was being different than everybody else but it's also that he got into jujitsu for the right reasons because when he made the decision to get into jujitsu he probably planned to do the same path that everybody else was which was oh you compete jujitsu for a little bit and then you either open up a school or you do mma that's what it's ha it's it's always been up until now, maybe the last two years, three years, it was you open up a school and you have a successful school and that's what your life becomes. Or you go to MMA and you hope you become Jacare. Yeah. And then like, and that's such a, that's very, very ropey like that path, man. Cause like you really, it's really hard to make money as an MMA fighter, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm willing to, MMA might be the, the most corrupt thing since the music industry. You're probably <laughs> right about that, man. You know, and, you know, and there's a lot of people that are going into it now, you know, and, and, you know, local pro events, you know, amateur events, things like that, you know, and, and like on a, on a regional pro level, it's like, you can't make any real money. You know, you, you have to be pro on a higher level to even make a living. Yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy, man. Uh, 
I actually had uh, Andre Petrosky, who's a, a really good UFC middleweight. He came in and taught at where I'm, I teach at. I brought him in a couple weeks ago. That, that guy, he's 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 a stud. I I, I honestly think he's going to be top ten in the UFC, probably worst case scenario early next year. He's he's an absolute uh, unbelievable. He so he fights at one eighty five. Mm-hmm. It's it's unreal. He grew up wrestling. He's one of the best wrestlers ever from the state of Pennsylvania. He's he's like in the Pennsylvania Hall of Fame of wrestling. Uh, completely legitimate Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt. Freak athlete. I mean, he's like he was warming up a, a couple of weeks ago when I had him doing backflips. He's over two hundred pounds. Damn, D- doing backflips like four in a row, like it's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, like like just solid, solid athlete, really good guy, uh, great teacher. Like if that's what he's got, wants to get into after his MMA career, I wouldn't be surprised. He does some commentating for that uh, CFFC oh, MMA yeah. organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, but like you know, like he's an outlier. That's not the story. Most of these guys don't even make it to the UFC, and some of them are getting paid four hundred dollars to fight. And that's it. Yeah, dude. And and like you're putting a lot on the line, man. Like when you're fighting MMA professionally, you know, no shin guards, no headgear, you know, the small gloves, you know, like getting fucked up. It only takes like like with that level, it's real easy to get a life altering injury. You know what I mean? If you're fighting and you're making like four hundred dollars, it's like it's barely even worth doing it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and Probably, if you are doing it, you're probably in a position where, and again, this is a different conversation about how messed up we are in this country, but you probably don't have health insurance. Yeah. Uh, probably not. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, so what happens? And, and we sadly, you and I both know what happens when you tear your ACL. Well, you just, I know lots of guys in jujitsu, and, and I'm sure you know guys in that Muay Thai jujitsu that are just walking around with no ACL. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. They, they're like, oh, yeah, I tore that like 15 years ago. <laughs> what? When, did you have surgery now? I've just learned how to live with it. <laughs> yeah, learn how to live with it, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're like, like man. yeah, like like me and, uh, so there, there's a, a Hicks and Gracie black belt named Henry Akins, and he's, he has said publicly more than once that like he tore both his ACLs as a purple belt. Now, I guess 20 something years ago. So he just has no ACLs right now. And his life is teaching Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. He's been doing all this training and for all these years with no ACLs. Yeah. And then like later in life, you just, you're just going to be racked with like arthritis, man, you know? Yeah. And yeah, yeah, just I mean, fucked, you know? Yeah, I'm, I, I mean, but that, that, we're about to go down a deep, dark wormhole of of in, injuries, how, <laughs> darkness. Yeah, it, it, injuries and, and and how the American system for health insurance and medical care just doesn't make sense. It, it really just doesn't make sense. Like, you know, like yeah, I mean. It, I could spend five hours talking about how how our our medical system doesn't make sense, but 
again, that's what happens when you're doing things for profit. So you, you were mentioning that you have a podcast that you do as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it's, it's not something I do super regularly, but regularly enough. Yeah. So it's, it's all martial arts stuff. It's, it's with a friend of mine, uh, who, he, his, his background is more in striking. So his, he owns a school, a Tung Sudo school. Uh, and he also trains some Muay Thai, some traditional boxing and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And yeah, we call it the motion martial arts podcast. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of just like we we pick a topic and we talk and occasionally we, we bring in, in some people and we talk to them. Um, so I had like Brett from Revocation on once and he doesn't do martial arts, but he's a good friend of mine. Brett's I awesome. Just, awesome guy. Yeah. I love yeah, Brett. I, I, I remember uh, being blown away. One of the first long tours I ever did with was, was with Brett back when he was in Postman Syndrome. Oh, wow. Before That's he joined Revocation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we did like maybe like two months U.S. tour uh, and every day he practices his base on tour. He pulled it out every day. That dude's a so machine, like I, man, on the base. Yeah, 100%. He's, he's, he's one of the most talented people I, I, I know. Uh, so, I, like, uh, him and I were really good friends. So I was like, even though he doesn't do martial arts, having him talk about his practice habits, because that's something that people that do martial arts, hearing how, hey, this is a huge thing how you practice and right Brett when he was big into skateboarding and I think he's back into it a lot more again recently you know you got to do it all the time it's just not an every once in a while thing if you want to be good at it um yeah I've had had a, a, a an Olympic runner on there named Robbie Andrews he, he was on he uh ran for the United States in the Rio Olympics and again just talking to him about some of the things he does so, like, he's a really interesting guy because he pretty much does rope-a-dope uh, in his running strategy. <laughs> so I forget what he runs, but, like, I was blown away by this. So, like, I, I met him, and he was I, – I, I, he, he downplayed his level of success to me first. For a long time, he held – I think he runs, like, the – what, like, 1,500 or something like that. Um, he, he was downplaying his level of success, and then his – Beyonce mentioned something about like meeting him when he was with Barack Obama. And I was like, well, what were you doing with Barack, Barack Obama? <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, what were you doing with Barack Obama? And he was like, uh, well, all the Olympians had, we, we, we all were with him. And I was like, wait, <laughs> Olympians? I didn't have any idea. I knew, I knew he was a professional runner, but I, I didn't know what level. And, and like, so I, he, he told me like, he was like, yeah, one of the things I do, he's like, I let the guys get out ahead of me so I can see them all. And then I turn on the jets once I kind of have to survey the land. So I, I let myself fall behind a little bit and then I blow by them all. And like for a, up until very recently, he like held the record for, I think, 1500 for the NCAAs. And obviously he's one of the fastest dudes in the world if he, if he you know, made the Olympics and almost meddled at the Olympics. But yeah, like he was just doing the rope-a-dope strategy, which I blew my mind because when I've competed and I've done uh, submission only matches, that's part of my strategy. I'm like, I go out, I'm like, if I catch something quick, great. If not, hold back, let them work to tire themselves out a little bit. And once they've tired themselves out for going too hard, turn it on again. Uh, 
so I had a match against somebody for this organization called Fight to Win, which is like a travels around the United States doing super fight events. And I had a match, uh, and I told everybody leading up to the match, I'm going to catch a Darce. I'm going to win this match by Darce. I was telling everybody like four weeks out, I'm going to win this match by Darce. And I won the match by Darce, but it was because I did the rope-a-dope thing. He was so tired that I didn't even really sweep him. I just kind of knocked him over and then came up on top, and I could have submitted him with whatever I wanted to submit him with. Right, right, right. So, yeah, like, uh, yeah, so, yeah, you know, we, we, but for the most part, it's just him and I get him back to the podcast because I, I rant to, to get side, sidebar too much. Maybe I secretly have ADD and I don't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so for the most part, it's occasionally we have people on like that. Um, you know, people that I think are interesting. We don't release issues uh, or episodes, I should say, all that regularly. We probably do like six a year. Um, but yeah, like we, lots of times we'll talk about things that we both like, like comic books is something we both really like. Um, so we talked about that. We sometimes just talk about training things. We talked the other day, the most recent episode, we, which we put out maybe two weeks ago, we were talking about this idea of how uh, for some reason in jujitsu, jujitsu seems to be the only thing where this is the case the coach is supposed to also be the best guy in the room and it's supposed to beat everybody else. Uh, but that doesn't happen in Muay Thai. No, definitely the coach not. is the coach. Yeah. He's the coach. Doesn't happen in yep. boxing. Yep. Definitely not doesn't boxing. happen in wrestling. So yeah, like, you know, that, like that's kind of the focus and, and like, uh, I have no intentions of being a podcaster, but I, I also feel like, you know, this is some of the benefits of the modern world is like, you can kind of put your ideas out of out there and hope that, you'll find some like-minded people. And that's really what it's about for me. I, I like, you know, I, I, I just want to have like-minded people that do martial arts. I don't care what martial art it is that I can talk to this sort of stuff about and talk about like how you and I are talking, yeah. you know, where yeah. it, it jumps around and it, yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, like, yeah, yeah, you know, like I think this is one of the coolest things about, you know, being alive is, is, is meeting interesting people, and exactly like you said, you know, talking about philosophies of life, common interests, you know, like, you know, like, oh, man, what's the most recent record you've heard that was interesting? What's a TV show that you're like digging or a movie or a comic book or whatever, you know? Hey, what are you eating? What are you doing for recovery? All, like all those things like, hey, man, like who's an interesting if I'm if I come through New York City and I want to train, who's the person to go train with? If I'm in Boise, Idaho, do you know anybody I can train with? <laughs> you know, like like all that stuff is, is is you know like you know that's that's one of the coolest things about having the modern world is that we can connect in a different way. Yeah, you know, so like that that's that's really you know what I'm doing the podcast for more than anything. For a little bit, I also did one with uh, you know Rob Motes, who was in uh, Constance. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so Rob and I did one for a little bit too, where we did a couple of episodes, but I think that was a little bit more out of uh, being in COVID and not having a lot of, uh, or having too much free time. And we did a couple episodes of this thing and we, it was called Y'all Can Stay at My Place. And we were just calling friends and bands and just talking about like, tell us your worst tour stories. <laughs> like, you know, the stuff that no, that like all of us in bands know but it seems like nobody believes you when you come home and tell, tell, 
So yeah, like, that's a good topic, man, for sure. Yeah, you know, like, like so, so we 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 did that just for a few. But like again, I'm I I don't I don't really want to be a podcaster. It's more just to connect with people and have cool conversations. And you know, it's like it's like something that for me is like I just do every once in a while, kind of as a, hey, this is cool. Is it on like? you know, Spotify and, uh, you know, Apple podcasts and stuff. Can you find it readily? Yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah. You can find it readily. So the, right, cool. the one that Rob and I did is called, uh, y'all can stay at my place, which we only did like six, maybe seven episodes of that. We talked to like Caspian. We talked to the dudes in Rosetta, the dudes in Constance. I can't remember. We talked to the guys in that band. Oh, brother. I feel like I'm forgetting somebody, but we, we'd recorded a couple others. Uh, we we had talked to the guys in Junius and we had talked to the guys in uh, Restorations, and for some reason we never put it out. We talked to Frank from for Metal Injection. We did one with him, but yeah, it's just Rob has a lot going on. I have a lot going on. Neither of us really wanted to be podcasters. It was just kind of something cool to do. Well, that's season um, one. That's season one, man. Maybe you guys do season two sometime. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's easier said than done. Like, you know, like, like that's, that's the thing, man. Like there's only so many hours in a day and, and, you know, like I, I like doing this sort of stuff from time to time, but I, I don't think I, yeah, th things will work out and there probably will be a season two at some point. Like I said, we have the two, two, two that we, we never released. Yeah. And there was a couple of people we were talking about doing some other stuff with that, the, the y'all can stay at my place. One of the coolest ones is, so I, I love Eugene Robbins. And I think oh he's man, he's the best. In the entire dude. world. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, I was really stoked that he would do that with us. It, it, it was, it was a ton of fun. I, I love talking to that guy. He's one of my favorite. People. I've never trained with him, which is I was talking to him maybe in, I don't know three weeks ago. I was like, dude, how have I never trained? How have we never trained? Never I don't, happened. I don't want to train with Eugene. <laughs> I, 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 I do, man. I'm, I'm intrigued. But... <laughs> Not not jujitsu, maybe if he wants to put shin guards on or something, but not, I, I, I don't mean, want knowing that him, guy. knowing him, he probably would, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he probably would do, do, do that with you. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, he's way bigger than me and he's, even though he's a brown belt, I'm a black belt, he's trained significantly longer than me. Um, but I, I think it would be fun. Uh, I mean, I, I think he would get the better of me and based off of, I think he's, I actually think so. Have you ever heard of the move, the muffler, where they cover you cover somebody's mouth and nose with your hand? I've only heard of that from him, actually. Yeah, so that's what <laughs> I was about to say. I had never heard of it before him, yeah. and then it came back later as like a thing that people do. And I was like, it like so, a, a guy named Wagner Rope, uh, Wagner Rocha or Hosha. He used to fight in the. In the in, I'm probably butchering his name because I can't tell with these guys. I would say a Vag, Wagner Rocha, but it might be Hosha. I don't know. Uh, he used to fight in the UFC, but he's a he's a, one of the best guys at pure jiu-jitsu right now in the world. He's he medaled at the last ADCC. He's had a lot of big super fights. Um, he brought it. He pulled it out in a match. I think on, at a, one of the Eddie Bravo Invitationals, he had the guys back mounted because submit him and he did the muffler to him. But yeah, I was like, I was like, man, Eugene Robinson told me about that probably like six or seven years before that. <laughs> but yeah yeah I, I would be completely interested in training but i think it would be fun i i think he would get the better of me i, I don't have a lot of doubt about that but 
yeah, like uh, so. So I had him on that. Y'all, y'all could stay in my place, and we talked tour stuff. And he had a bunch of interesting stories. He's he's a really in, intriguing person. He's such a nice dude. I um, think I think the only way that I would do any kind of uh, training with Eugene is if I had an opportunity to not get taken down with him. <laughs> like if there was like some rule set that we can do where I can strike and he can try to take me down. And if I get taken down, then I have to figure out how to, you know, get back to my feet or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, the, the thing is, is that he is probably would be 100% on board with it. But I, I mean, I don't want to put any words <laughs> in his mouth. I mean, he, I, I mean, he, some, some of his stories are, are public knowledge. So it's not yeah, like oh yeah, totally. people, people, people can't find out some of the things he, he, he's done. Like, uh, have you ever read? Uh, his book fight. Oh yeah, of course. That's required yeah, so he, man, he, over here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. He talks about that in in, in there about doing like these kind of underground fights. Yeah. And getting knocked out against by a UFC fighter knocked him out. One of the guys that was on the like the first season of The Ultimate Fighter. He's he, he's got no shame sharing some of those stories. He talks about training with Kung Lee and getting kicked in the leg and like tearing his hamstring or whatever. Yeah, I can't I can imagine Kung Lee having a really good leg kick. <laughs> yeah, I I yeah. So one of my 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 primary training partner, uh, sh- shout out to, to Don. Uh, he's he's like my. I mean, we pretty much started within a couple months of each other. So his primary style is Muay Thai, and when he was a really little kid, he did Tung Soo Do. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, this is like ten years ago. I, I asked him to just lightly like kick me in the leg or something like that. I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, people eat multiple leg kicks like this? I'm like, and you weren't even hitting me hard? And then I, like, held a pad. And I was, like, <laughs> I was, like by my leg. And I was, like, like one of those, those, those like, bodyguards or whatever. I put it in front of my leg. I was, like, I was, like, kick it hard enough. I, like, slid across the floor. And this dude maybe has, like, 30 pounds on me. So he's not huge. He's probably, like, 170, 180. Uh-huh. I was, like, Christ. I was, like. And people eat these leg kicks and they walk through them. I'm good, man. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something else getting hit with a bare shin, man. That's for sure. It's like a different well, different thing completely. You know, I, I I can only imagine what it, I mean. You, you're 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 you've got some size on me, I, I, and you've been doing it for a while. I I I don't, I don't want to take a full force leg kick from you. I would probably drop me to the ground right away. Probably, I'd probably be done right there. That would finish the fight. <laughs> that's what's crazy like when when you watch like the european uh style of like kickboxing those guys don't even check the kicks like if you watch a guy like like rico verhoven or something like that it's like he's having an, another 265 pound dude smash his shin into his thighs and he's not even checking them and i'm just like damn dude you know it's insane yeah. And even I mean, checking a kick, it's like good for you. You're going shin to shin with someone else. That's like, <laughs> that, like that. Is that is that any? What's worse, checking it or not? Checking it? You know, I don't. I don't even know. I haven't decided yet. Yeah, I mean, man, like, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I I know for a fact, man. I got no, no delusions about any of this stuff. Like, uh, I feel like when I was a little bit fresher to jujitsu, I I was I was a little delusional, and I was like, you know. If I get to a certain level, I could probably like hang with some of these dudes. And then I, I think the first eye-opening experience I had, I was a blue belt. And 
I was on the mat with Will Martinez, who used to fight in Bellator, who has, he's a coach right now that's, he's a very good black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He was a very good MMA fighter. He, he won multiple matches in Bellator. I, I don't I don't remember what his record was, but I know it, he definitely had a significant more amount of wins than losses. Uh, so I, I I was on the mat with him and Zach McCoskey. I might be saying his his last name a little, a little bit incorrectly, but he at the time was uh, top ten or top fifteen in the UFC for one twenty five. Yeah, I remember that guy definitely. Yeah, yeah. His nickname was Fun Size. Yep. He still fights. He's he. he he was a really good collegiate wrestler. He's a purple belt. He used to train some at Marcello's. That's at where I think I remember him from, actually. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember. He, I, I, he's not in the UFC anymore, though. He's not. No, he fights, I think, I think he fights for, like, a Russian organization or yeah. something like that. Yeah. But, yeah, this is, this, is, this is years ago. So, this was, I was a blue belt. And I was like, oh, well, he's a purple belt. And he, he fights 125. And he's willing to, to do a round with me, you know, just, just jujitsu. I did that. So I, I did a round with Will Martinez and a round with him, with Zach. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm delusional. I, I'm never getting to the point where I can hang with these guys. Yeah. I felt the difference in the athleticism. I was like, this is, this is insane. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm lying to myself. I, I, I'm like, I can get good at jujitsu and maybe pure jujitsu. I can get to a certain level. I, there's no way I could ever hang with these guys. These guys would annihilate me. I have a, a, a friend, Judah Siervo. He's the guy who I did my the Muay Thai lessons that I've done with. He's a, also a jiu-jitsu black belt. Uh, he had a match against Paul Felder, an MMA match against oh, wow. Paul Felder. Yeah. And I'm like, his primary style is Muay Thai. He's done it for a really long time. Like, when he puts his shin on me, when we're do, just doing grappling stuff, I'm like, Jesus Christ, man. Your shin bones are insanely strong. Like, yeah. how would I last one kick no nah, yeah and that's just from years of just doing it you know just slamming your shin into a bag over and over again and having that bone density be where it's at you know yeah i mean it's that hard but yeah like it's <laughs> yeah i mean i've got got no 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 delusions about about the fact that there's levels to the game right and then over time again you get exposed to more uh you you probably know uh bernardo faria yeah of course he, he taught at marcelo garcia's or he still yeah, does so, he was he started teaching there right around the time that so I bernardo kinda, yeah bernardo owns bjj fanatics which is the largest jujitsu instructional website in, in the world now so he's the guy who is making all these people rich off instructionals ah, okay. in jujitsu. Yeah. He moved up to like Boston area and has a school there now. But he came, he, uh, it must have been 2014 or 15. He won a world championship. We brought him in to teach. Same thing. And again, he's massive compared to me. He's a big guy. Yeah. Nice guy. Yeah, yeah, Very I, nice guy, though. Oh, he's one of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. But it's like, again, like you, when you when you start out, you have these delusions. You're like, oh yeah, jujitsu. They said that the size doesn't matter, and then you're like, you go with somebody like that, and you're like, even if I got to a high enough level that our skills were equal, this whole the size thing doesn't matter isn't isn't true, and athleticism matters. It's all stuff like it's just marketing, right? It's marketing. <laughs> jujitsu definitely, I can nuke like. 
through grappling, I can neutralize somebody's athletic advantages if they also aren't good at grappling. Yeah, totally. I mean, if, if some unskilled guy who's like bigger than you, yeah, yeah for sure. But and not, same thing. Yeah. Like if we're talking about in a pure fight, yes, in a pure fight, I'll have an advantage against somebody if they don't know how to strike or grapple, and I'll, and they're bigger than me. But if they know how to throw a leg kick, and I know how to grapple, and they're bigger than me, and they throw the leg kick as I'm coming in to close the distance, well, they know how to throw leg kicks. I'm going to get dropped. Like it's, you know, like, like, again, like I I feel like younger to martial arts, this isn't uncommon that people have those kinds of delusions and hopefully you grow out of it. And and I I did. And I think most people do. It's like, you know, reality sets in, especially once you start to get around some some of these good people. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh yeah, the stuff that I've been told about the size doesn't matter you can negate it now size matters <laughs> no fuck yeah man yeah so what's what's the academy that you teach at in um in philly if people want to you know oh yeah so it's, it's, it's called yeah so it's called uh malaki flow which actually is uh an inside joke between uh the two guys that own it so one guy so my instructor and the guy who owns the academy that i teach out of he actually is now based in south carolina so he has a school in uh, Charleston, and that's where he teaches. I teach at the school outside of Philadelphia. We're like pretty much 10 minutes outside of West Philadelphia in this little town called Darber. So I'm the lead instructor there, and then there's a school outside of Miami called Kibiscan, or yeah, a town called Kibiscan, and and those are the three schools. So the two of them are from Columbia, and when they started training jiu-jitsu, there wasn't really anybody teaching in Colombia, so they had an old school VHS of uh, Mario Sperry. Oh, wow! And Mario Sperry, in this instructional from this old VHS that they had, was saying arm lock with a thick Brazilian accent, and these guys are both <laughs> Colombian, so they thought that he was saying army locky. Oh, wow! Okay. And so it's just an inside joke for the name. Of the <laughs> That's school. awesome. So. So they thought that there was a move called the Malaki nice. or the army Locky, and they couldn't figure it out. And then eventually they realized he was just saying arm lock with his thick accent. That kind so, of rules actually. I like that. It's yeah. Funny. Yeah. So, so that, that's the name of the school. Uh, yeah. And I, I mean, the Philadelphia jiu-jitsu scene is, 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 is good. It, it's good. It's not as good as New York city, but like uh, we have, uh, Balance Studios, which is the Migler Reese brothers, they're Helsing Gracie Black Belts. That's a really good school. We have Christian Woodmancy, owns a school called Logic. He's he's one of I've I've done a lot of lessons with him. He for a while was like my school that I would like supplement most of my training with. Uh, he's an Andre Galval black belt. He won a world championship as a brown belt. He's a rooster weight, so he like competes at 125. He's done some pro MMA. His school's incredible. He's an incredible instructor. There's a guy named Zach Green, who I think I mentioned earlier. He owns a school called Onyx Combat Sports. Great, great school. There used to be a school called BJJ United by a guy named Jared Weiner, who is incredible. He uh, has an organization called TAC Team that has a lot of schools in the Philadelphia area. Uh, There's a school called Paramount. There's a school called Mainline United that are underneath him. Paramount's run by this dude, Brad Court. He's got great, great jujitsu. Um, 
Steve Bowers runs Mainline United. He's a longtime black belt, great dude. I think he might be quite possibly the nicest dude in in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. There's a school called Gracie Philadelphia, which is uh, run by Brian Rago. That's actually where Zach Green, my friend Zach Green, got his black belt from there. Zach Maxwell used to train there. That's a really, really good school. And there's a bunch of others, but, like, we've got, like, a lot of really, 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 really good schools. There's a school called The Vault that's uh, run by Matt Kelly, who's also a black belt under Brian Rago from Gracie Philadelphia. Incredible school, lots of good guys. He's got a couple of really good competitors. One guy named John Lyons, who's a really, really, really good purple belt, who I wouldn't be surprised if once he, in a couple of years, people might be talking about him as being like uh, a, a guy who's capable of winning some some of the, the big, big things like a world championship or an ADCC. He's a super talented kid. Uh, then for MMA, we got Daniel Gracie, which those guys are undefeated. That's where that Andre Petrosky guy goes. And obviously, there is a jiu-jitsu program there. They're known for that MMA program. Yeah, they're like something like 15 and 0 right now in the UFC. They've got Sean Brady, um, Andre Petrosky, Pat Sabatini, Jeremiah Wells, uh, Jill Pfeiffer, all from there. Uh, there's also, and this will be the last school I mentioned, but there's other schools that I'm, I, that, sorry if I'm leaving you out. There's a guy named Rob Schreier who owns a school called Precision, who I think might be literally one of the best kept secrets in jiu-jitsu period. Uh, I could be off on this, but I believe he's Ricardo Almeida's first black belt. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, he is, he's a freaking, uh, he. The dude is so good at grappling. And again, he's one of the nicest dudes in the entire world. Uh, one of his students is a guy named Dylan Royce, who's also incredible. And I actually have to mention one more school because I can't believe I forgot this school. There's a school called Movement Arts, which is run by uh, a guy named Nick Salas and, and Daniel Myra. I've never trained with Nick. I've, I've trained with Danny. Danny got third in Worlds uh, a few months ago. I was lucky enough to be on the match with him about three weeks, I believe, before he went out and got third at Worlds. And I don't think I've ever been beaten down as bad as this dude beat me down. Wow. It was insane. He he maybe is he maybe was ten pounds heavier than me. It felt like my face was going to cave in just with from this guy's shoulder pressure. And he's like again such a super nice guy like such a nice guy great integrity great dude like uh, yeah so like the the philadelphia jiu-jitsu scene is thriving it's like so so good right now and it's it's i I don't think it's ever been this strong like you know and, and if people are in the area who are interested in training if you go to any of those schools you're going to be taken care of and happy with the results you guys are obviously if you're listening and interested welcome to reach out to me and come train with me uh but yeah i mean i recommend finding jiu-jitsu period uh what's what's the best way to what's the best way for people to get 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 at you like uh, instagram i know that's how you and i you know connect generally so what's what's the best way for people to reach out to you yeah yeah so so you you could find me on instagram i'm probably going to mess up my instagram name but i I think it's uh just at grossman.dave or grossman.david but uh my account is private so you, you, you're gonna have to send a request <laughs> no that's fine you're gonna uh, when, it, when this episode goes up you're gonna be tagged so people will yeah, yeah, uh, you yeah. know so, be so able to hit the, you up that way exactly yeah yeah i, I I'm, I'm not 
as long as if somebody's not a scumbag and uh, I, I usually uh, add most people, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I think like, as far as that goes there, the reason why it's a private page is uh, there's some, some stuff that I prefer to keep personal that I, I, I sometimes post on there, but I'm not somebody who posts a ton anyway. Um, right. But yeah, like, I, I, it's not like I'm hiding anything in the grand scheme of things. So if people are interested, they can reach out to me. I'm there. I'm going to add you. Don't worry. Um, yeah, that's, that's the primary place. Um, you can also reach out to me through the Rosetta stuff. So uh, Rosetta has a, an Instagram thing, which I think is just at rosettaband.com. You can reach us at rosettaband at gmail.com too and stuff like that. Well, I'll post, uh, I'll connect all these things when this episode goes up. So in the various posts out there, you'll be able to connect with, uh, with Dave here. Awesome. Thanks, well, man. thanks a lot, man. This is great. I had a lot of fun catching up, man. Yeah, yeah, man. It was fun. Uh, hopefully the next time you, you come through Philly, man, uh, maybe, uh, you can, you can come stay with us, uh, at, at our house, man. And, uh, Depending on what you want food-wise, man, I can fire up. So I got one of those uh, ceramic grills. I don't oh. have. I have, I have like the Kamado Joe. I can gets up to nine hundred degrees. I can Dang. sear some steaks real quick, man. Oh hell yeah! We nice. we can catch up, drink some coffee, dude. I'm down. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in Philly. You know, like, well, I'll be down there in November. We're on another tour, but uh, I'm in Philly. Like, you know, I got various stuff i gotta do down there and and i'm around so i'll hit you up next time i'm in town yeah yeah if, if, if yeah yeah we'll, we'll, we'll hang out we'll, we'll make it work man we'll hell, figure some some way to connect man hell yeah all right man have a good night and uh awesome you too man yeah it was great talking dave take care yeah yeah good night take care man
times I think.